Lord, today we do recognize that this nation we live in is a gift from God. And Lord, it takes men and women that are dedicated to our nation's security to keep us free. And I want to say a special thank you, Lord, to those that are here, those that have served, those that have lost loved ones, and those whose loved ones are away from them today. I just pray that the very grace and goodness of God would follow them all the days of their life. And we pray for America. We pray, Lord, that we would not escalate into more wars, but there would be peace in our land. And we pray that this nation would turn herself back to God and that you would be the center of all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them one more big hand. God bless everybody. Well, turn your Bibles today, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 16. I have been doing a series the last few weeks, and it's just about over, but it's called God Is, dot, 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 and each week we fill in a blank. Remember, we talked about the idea that God is merciful, but God is just. Now, how many would rather have God's mercy? Amen. Absolutely. Rather have His mercy. But if I reject His mercy, I'll experience His justice. And one day on Judgment Day, that is the ultimate justice that God uh, meets out. We also talked about the fact that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is, uh, aren't you glad that Democrats and Republicans aren't ultimately in control? Come on, aren't you glad that God's in control? Aren't you glad some crazy terrorist with trying to get a nuclear bomb, he's not ultimately in control. God's in control. We learned that from the scripture. We also learned several weeks that God is our creator. We looked at uh, the fact of, we talked about uh, uh, the theory of evolution. We talked about what the scripture says about creation of the universe, the heavens, how God is more than a big bang, but God is the creator of everything we know and see, that we didn't evolve from monkeys or single cell organisms, that Adam was shaped by God from the dust of the earth. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that's where, and then Adam or Eve was formed from a rib from his side, and uh, that's where the first human beings came from. And from that, we, uh, we began to, to multiply as God designed for us to do. Well, last week, we talked about the fact that God is a jealous God. A scripture you may not be familiar with. It's from the Ten Commandments. God is a jealous God, which simply means he, he doesn't want rivals in his relationship with us. In other words, he doesn't want us to have idols in our life. An idol is anything that perhaps is fun and enjoyable, but it begins to take the place of God. It begins to consume our time and passion. Well, this morning, I want to talk about another aspect of God, and I want to declare from the Scripture that God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God among us. He is God the Son, and He is the revelation of what God is like. We're going to talk about Jesus this morning. It will be a different type message. It will be a message that is geared towards helping you and your foundational understanding of who Christ is. Uh, for example, the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God as I'll proclaim today. They believe Jesus is a God, not the God. He is not just a Son of God, but He is the Son of God. So we'll explore that this morning you'll see why it's important but I've got a little quick video uh, it's a man on the street called who is Jesus and you will see some uh, some of the crazy things some people have to say who is Jesus Christ uh, we'll see you later <laughs> who is Jesus I don't have an answer you want to answer a question <laughs> Who is Jesus Christ? Oh my God. Is that the answer? It is, it is. That's the one. Who is Jesus Christ? I don't know. <laughs> he lives upstairs. What's he doing up there? 
watching down on us? Why? I don't know. <laughs> He's bored. You got a sec? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, I have no idea. You ever thought about him? A little bit. What'd you come up with? Uh... He's a person that people look up to. He's your God, I guess. Is he a God to you? Uh, no, he's not. Why not? Uh, I have no idea because I don't have any type of religion. Do you think there's any reason to, to examine it further, to check it out? Um, not at this point, no. Why not? Uh, I don't know. never really came across my mind. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. It was Jesus Christ? That's a good question. I don't know. God's son? Why? Why? Is this a quiz? God's son? Is that what you think? I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's what I think. It's the son of God. It's also our savior. He was a man who lived in the beginning of the century who uh, died on the cross to save the whole world. Death and hell. Who is he? Uh, I don't really know. You ever thought about it? I knew the guy personally. What's that? Every other guy personally. There's plenty of books about it, though. Well, I wish he was here today. I'd tell him. I assume that was probably filmed in California or something. Uh, a little bit different from here than Texas and Arkansas. But nonetheless, our nation is drifting very much away from the uh, foundational understanding of the Bible, very much away from the, the, the uh, Christian faith. And uh, hopefully what I share with you today will help bring a restoration of that and, a, and an underscore the truths of God's Word. Matthew 16 is where we're, where we're start this morning. This basic question, who is Jesus? People during his day was asking, were asking the same question. Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? A title of Christ. Well, they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had been beheaded, so I guess they're going to think he's coming back. He's reincarnated, perhaps. Some say you're Elijah. Others, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked his disciples. Now, mind you, they have been following him for quite a while. They had seen him do miracles. They had heard his teaching. And now he's asking them, what do you believe? Verse 15 says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now those three titles, just a moment. First, Jesus is called the son of man. And that's referencing the fact that he was born of Mary. He was born a virgin, the miraculous birth. But, but God literally left heaven and came to, to be born as a man, to be among us, the son of man. But these next phrases, the Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. We say Jesus Christ. Christ means Jesus, the anointed one, the savior of the world, the Hebrew Messiah. But it's this last phrase I want to focus on this morning where Peter said, you are the son of the living God. You're the son of the living God. You're not just a God. You're not one of many gods, but you are the son of the God. So we're going to try to understand the facts that surround his life. You will see this morning as we look into the scriptures, as we look into history, that the Bible clearly says, and Jesus said, we're going to see not only the names that were given and ascribed to Christ that talked about his divinity, we'll talk about his virgin birth and what that means. It was prediction uh, 700 years before it happened, and then we'll listen to the very words that Jesus spoke about, uh, about his own divinity. Some people would say, well, you're just reading from the Bible, and the Bible is just a book. I'm going to challenge you on that in just a minute. 
We know, everything we know about history, we know because it was recorded. Anything you know about Julius Caesar, Shakespeare, Plato, the Gallic Wars. I mean, you just look at all of history, and somewhere it was written down. It could have been passed. It could have been written on paper, papyrus. could have been on uh, clay, cuneiform. But mankind has recorded words throughout history. But this book is different than any other. There are more copies of the manuscripts, more copies of the fragments of manuscripts, in the tens of thousands, as opposed to any other piece of ancient literature. Yet we don't question them, but so many question the Bible. The Bible was written over a 2,000-year period, over 40 different authors from all walks of life, not having the same copy of the same book as the other one did, but yet they bear to the same truth. They have a singular message, that is, that there's a loving God, man has sinned, and God has a plan of redemption for them to live with him for all eternity. So this is not just a book, it is the book. And just from a historical, rational perspective, it demands that we give it attention and give it consideration. So when I look at, share with this this morning to you, I share with you from a book that, 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 that decrees and declares of itself that it is the Word of God, backed up by archaeology and backed up by millions of changed lives. So let's explore it today. I want to begin with the question, uh, is Jesus God? And I want to share two different perspectives from two professors at Oxford University. One is dead now. His name was C.S. Lewis. He wrote Mere Christianity, one of the great uh, Christian thinkers of his day. Uh, the other is a man that's alive today. His name is Richard Dawkins. He's an atheist. If you look at some of the top atheists in the world today, which, by the way, atheism growing in America today, those that don't believe in God, much like those in the video. Well, how many know most people believe what they've been taught? And if you're taught in a godless school system, much as ours has become, you're going to end up believing a godless view, a worldview of life. Well, Richard Dawkins, here's what he said in a recent interview. He said, Jesus was a good man. He was intelligent and a great moral teacher, but he certainly wasn't God. Uh, Jesus never claimed to be divine, so we shouldn't project that identity on him. I would suggest he's never read his Bible because Jesus claimed to be divine on many occasions. I mean, you can be educated and smart, but be missing some key central facts and your conclusion is all off base. I mean, it only takes a few foundational errors in your thinking and you can build this huge substructure of knowledge, information, how it fits together and blah, blah, blah. But if you have built on the wrong foundation, you're going to end up with the wrong conclusion as I suggest he has. Listen to this, the arrogance in this. He says, somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he'd known what we know today. Listen to C.S. Lewis now. Uh, again, great writer. His books are still influential. He said there's a problem. Uh, he, said, he said the problem is that if there's one thing Jesus cannot be, it's just a good man or a wise teacher. And that's exactly what Dawkins says he was. Now listen to his argument. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people have often said about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He went on to say, a man who was merely a man and said what Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be a liar because Jesus said on multiple occasions that he was God. Did he teach ethics? Absolutely. Did he teach values? Absolutely. You can argue that Western civilization was founded on the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. But he would be a liar and not a great moral teacher. Uh, or he'd be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or he's a madman or something worse. Well, you can respond to Jesus in several ways. You can shut him out as a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, as the Romans did. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't come with this any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. So when I talk about Jesus this morning, again, I want to shape your thinking, your theology, your understanding of God, who he is, what he did, and what he's doing, and what he will do. But I want to declare that Jesus is God today. I want to talk about four names that were ascribed to Christ in the Bible. I want to talk about his virgin birth and the significance of that. And lastly, I want to share a little bit about what Jesus said about himself. Let's look at four names that are ascribed to Christ. Matthew 14, the first one, we heard it a moment ago, the Son of God. Now let's look at it again. Matthew 14, the boat was far away from land. The disciples are on the sea. Jesus is on the land. Between three and six in the morning, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. How many believe that actually happened? And it wasn't shallow water. Well, how many know that's something that an, a man can't do? Something that a woman can't do. That's not even something that a, 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 a woman in skinny jeans can do. I mean, I mean, you, 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 no, oh, why, I'm okay, sorry. I don't care how skinny you are, if you weigh anything, you're going down in that water. He's walking on the water, verse 29. And of course, Peter said, let me walk too if it's you. Well, Peter's walking on the water to Jesus, but when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid, began to sink. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out by his hand, caught Peter, and they got in the boat, and the wind became calm. So now he stilled the storm. In verse 33, those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus and said, truly, you are the the Son of God. Now that's not a phrase that's arbitrarily thrown out there. He did not say you are a Son of God. You are the Son of God. You and I are children of God, sons and daughters of God, but we are not nor will we ever be, as Jesus is, the Son of God. Uh, You know God the Father affirmed that Christ was the Son. Witnesses heard this. When Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. In Him I'm well pleased. So God the Father, this is an interesting situation, is affirming that Jesus is the Son. So how in the world are you going to scratch your head? Because the Bible clearly says, and Jesus said, that there is one God. Mark 12, 29, Jesus said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. is one. So here Jesus is referring to the Lord our God. The Bible will teach that there is one God that reveals himself in three persons. Jesus told this in Matthew 28, the way people are baptized. Baptize them in the name of the Father, God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus was baptized? We see the Trinity is the term. The Trinity, God uh, revealing himself. Jesus the Son is being baptized. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven like a dove. And the voice from heaven, God the Father says, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. So how in the world can there be three and be one? It's a little bit of a a challenge. I'll give you the best that I can give you an explanation. How many know an egg is one, a single egg, but an egg is composed of a shell, a yellow and white? You don't have an egg if you don't have one of those, but yet an egg in its oneness is composed of a shell, a a yellow and a white. Uh, How about H2O? Uh, H2O can manifest or reveal itself in three forms. H2O can be a solid, it can be ice. Uh, H2O can be water, a liquid, or H2O can be gas, a steam. 
Uh, I don't know anything better than that to tell you. There's some revelations of God in Scripture that I just have to accept by faith that that's the way it is. The Bible teaches that there is something called free will and predestination. And it seems to me like they don't just kind of do, do that. They kind of bump, but they're both true. When I was in seminary, I was told that as Westerners, we think differently than the Eastern mind. And Easterner is, uh, Middle Easterner is very comfortable with what they would call truth and tension, predestination and free will. We Westerners are very linear in our thinking. We want, uh, you know, if A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C. But, but uh, the scriptures say some things that just kind of go over my head. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. So if there was nothing, where was God? I mean, you just have lost me right off the bat there. So anyway, I accept by faith that as the scripture says, there's one God and he's revealed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and uh, they, yet they are distinct. Let me give you another name. Jesus is called in Revelation 22, the Alpha and the Omega. Genesis 22, these phrases that we'll look at in this passage are spoken of five times in the book of Revelation. And throughout the Old Testament, these same phrases are used to describe God. So here we see in the New Testament, Revelation 22, Jesus is speaking. It's not the baby in the manger. It's not Jesus on earth, but it is the resurrected Lord speaking in a vision to John as King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. Not as a baby, but he's coming as the judge of the world and as the Savior. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. In other words, on that day of reckoning, it's going to be great for some folks. It's going to be really bad for others. But notice the phrase, verse 13. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Say it with me. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is saying, he is God. I guess Mr. Dawkins never read that verse. Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, when he says he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, these are phrases that simply mean Jesus exists now, he's always existed, and he will always exist. Let me say it again. He, scripture says he was, and he is, and he is to come. He's always existed. He existed before he exists now, and he will always exist. That's what makes him God, and it's hard for us to grasp because we're human beings. And in our arrogance, we say if we can't figure it out or understand it or relate to it, it must not be true. Well, my friend, God is bigger than the biggest computer. Come on. God is bigger than the biggest telescope or the biggest microscope. Come on. God is smarter than the largest chemistry set. That's what makes him separate and apart from us. But when it says he is the beginning and the end, it likely refers to Christ saying, I'm the beginning of creation and I'm the end of creation. I was Lord of both and I'm Lord of everything in between. So Christ literally is saying he is eternal. Here's another one, uh, John chapter 1. The Bible says that Jesus is called the Word. Now that's an odd name for someone, the Word. I have heard a preacher that named his bed the Word. And when people would call his wife and said, uh, is Pastor John at home? No, he's in the Word. He can't be disturbed right now. But... I've heard preachers call their fishing boat or their duck hunting boat visitation. And someone calls during duck season and said, hey, I need to talk to Pastor John. He's not here. He's on visitation, but I'll tell him you called. Okay. Where did we go? Better read the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. Now listen to this, and we'll come back to it. 
The Word was with God. And say it with me. The Word was. Now, here's where your Jehovah Witness New World Translation says the Word was a God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, what in the world is this Word? Verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh. You know who that is? Jesus. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. In other words, we saw his miracles. We saw his transfiguration. We saw his resurrection. The glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, let's go back over that. The word word is a Greek word, logos, and it simply means speaking or message. So when Jesus is called the word, what it literally means is God was speaking or revealing himself through Jesus. Jesus is God's message to the world about his love for us, about how to live, about his compassion. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word. So Jesus didn't start uh, uh, when he was born on, on, uh, somewhere around December uh, many, many years ago. He didn't start in a stable. But he was preexistent, and somehow he came into the womb of Mary. It was supernatural. It was not sexual intercourse, but uh, it was a visitation from God. The scripture goes on to say, he was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So now we see Jesus is the creator. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. Jesus is involved in the creation. The scripture says, without him was not anything made that was made. Even the technology that causes this sound system to work, that causes your iPhone to work, Jesus is behind that technology. How I many know people discover what God created? Yeah. But Jesus is the one who is, who is behind all that. Verse uh, of course, he became flesh, and, and, uh, and he is the only son of the Father. Now, let me give you another one. Uh, he is the creator, but he's so much more. Colossians chapter 1. If you want a, a, a letter that declares the preeminence of Christ, that exalts him in all his glory, Colossians is, a, Colossians is a great book. But listen to what it says. Let me just walk through this quickly. Paul said that Jesus, and mind you, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just as a theologian would write. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, when you saw Jesus, you saw what God is like. When you saw him go to the woman that was caught in adultery, when the law said stone her because of her sin, Jesus said he was, at the, he was without sin, cast the first stone. And then when everybody else left, he said, okay, I forgive you, but go and sin no more. So he showed us that God is merciful. If necessary, he'll be just. Jesus' whole life, when he, when he talked to children and had the children come on the lap when adults ignored him, that's exactly what God is like. When Jesus told us to become like little children in our faith and in our obedience to our Father. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. That's a hard phrase to translate. Another translator said he existed before anything was created and he's supreme over all creation. So it doesn't mean that Jesus was the first thing that was created. It means he was over all creation. For by him all things were created. Once again, Jesus is creator. Heaven, earth, visible and invisible. Remember we learned weeks ago that naturalism believes that there's nothing other than what I can see and quantify and dissect. But scripture says that there is an unseen spiritual world. 
The demonic is real. Angels are real. God is real. There's an unseen world that's out there. Jesus created all these things, the Bible says. Um, let's see, whether they were thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, this is interesting. You say, because we're so used to just living for ourselves, but we were created to have relationship with God. We are the bride of Christ. Heaven is more than just, you know, playing harps and turkey hunting. I mean, heaven is about a relationship with God for all eternity. And, and, and that's why we worship him. That's why we honor him. Uh, but there's something about our existence in some way uh, adds to him. He enjoys our fellowship. Uh, scripture goes on to say that uh, uh, he is before all things and in him all things are held together. Jesus keeps the planets in their proper rotation. Jesus keeps the laws of gravity at work. Jesus keeps uh, the cycle of food production, the cycle of rain, precipitation. Jesus is behind all these things. Verse 18 is a new one. He is the head of the body. That's the church. I tell people there are 200 churches in Texarkana, but there's one shepherd. His name is Jesus, and he's got about 200 assistants that don't get along very well. We should be, but, but we don't. It's just what is what it is. He is the head of the body. Notice what he says. Here's a big one. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Resurrection. And that gives hope that every Christian that's ever been died, come on, one day their body is coming out of that grave. That when you as a Christian go to the cemetery, you don't say goodbye, come on to another Christian. You have tears in your eyes because you love, but we'll say, I'll see you later, Dad. <laughs> I'll see you later, Mom. On that great day, Jesus is coming back. He resurrected first, and I'm going to be behind you. Verse 19, in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Wow. Let's move to the second thing. The first evidence or fact surrounding the, the validity of Christ as God with the name Scripture gives to him. The second is his virgin birth. The virgin birth declares Jesus is God. Isaiah seven fourteen. the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. Now, how impossible is that? How many know all things are possible with God? 700 years now, you have to think back Middle Ages, the 1300s. Can you imagine someone in the 1300s trying to describe something that would happen today? Come on. This is, this is this time period. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, let's leap ahead in time to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. said, Joseph, don't forget to take Mary as your wife. Now, and you now they're like engaged. She's pregnant. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. And notice now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. That's what Scripture is. Inspiration by God. He spoke to the prophet, and here's the words, The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen, if you're a skeptic, you have to stop and consider this. Books that have been verified, writings, 700 years apart in time. 700 years apart in time, and what was predicted to be impossible actually happens on a given day. It's further 
further illustrated this way. In 1947, there was a little boy in the Judean desert throwing rocks. How many, kid, how many used to like to throw rocks when you were little? Oh, I did all the time. Broke windows, guy got in trouble all the time. But he was throwing rocks out in the desert, no water to skip on out there, but he threw a rock and he heard it break something. It's just like breaking a glass, but it was a clay jar, clay pot, 1947. He began to get, of course, friends in there, and before you know it, archaeologists are there, and they realize they've found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the largest archaeological find of biblical manuscripts in history. And what they found, they found literally hundreds of documents. They found up, up to 10,000 fragments of documents. And these documents have pretty much, uh, uh, as they read them, they go along with the scripture that we have today. Now, in particular, the scroll of Isaiah was found. Remember, Isaiah made the prediction of Christ. This scroll was hundreds of years older than the ones that they currently had. And lo and behold, it's virtually identical to the manuscripts that we have where we get our Bible. That's got to get your attention about God's word being preserved uh, as history records it over time. Uh, he would be born of a virgin, and the promise was God is with us. Now, when I say that God is with us, whether we see him or not, how many know he's there? My wife had a, a, a terrible accident in Mexico. She was down there, and if you've seen, seen her today, looks like she's had spousal abuse to the nth degree. But before you get that idea, she, uh, she fell down a series of steps and banged her head on a post and had to go to the hospital in Mexico. And uh, she told me this morning, she said, my daughter was kind of upset and angry at God, said, why did you let, uh, why did you let that happen to Linnell? And uh, she felt like the Lord told her, I stopped her from going down the hill so it wouldn't be worse. There's some things that we don't understand. Let me give you a, perhaps a, a more clear example. Uh, when I became a Christian, 19 years of age, I was 20. I'd gone through all my training. I was in Mil Memphis, Tennessee. My first duty station was in, in, in uh, California. So I decided to ride a train across America. So I'm up, whatever it is, two or three days uh, uh, in, uh, in a seat, and I'm coming across. Well, lo and behold, there was a conductor that was there that I developed a relationship with. Uh, I assume he was a Christian, but I was reading my Bible all the time. We dialogued the whole way. Now, I want you to think about this. 20 years of age, green as grass from the hills of Mississippi, uh, and, and the train is going to let me off in Oakland, California at midnight that at that time was the murder capital of the United States, I believe. And it was only that far from where I was going, Moffett Field, which is probably an hour away, but I had no idea how I was going. I hadn't even thought about it. I mean, you know how if you were 19 or 20, you just, you just don't even think about it. So more than likely, if I got off in downtown, come on now, the, at, at midnight, and I'm carrying suitcases, I'd have probably been mugged or killed or something like that. I mean, that's just that's the facts. Well, as we got close to Oakland, this conductor asked me, he said, how are you going to get to your base? And I said, I don't know. He said, would you like for me to take you? Now remember, Jesus is God with us. How would you like for me to take you? So this African-American man that I didn't know from Adam somehow knew what was going to happen to me. He drove me all the way to the base and let me off and wouldn't even take any money for it. You say, boy, you sure were lucky. No, God is with us, watching over us. God is with us. So he's not just a back then God. He's a right now God. Let me, let me wrap up here. Uh, this is a big one. This is the third point. Jesus said he was God. He said he was God. Again, Mr. Dawkins apparently did not know that, uh, but Jesus said he was God. John chapter 8, verse 56. It's amazing, uh, most of us, and I would say including myself at some level, uh, we, we already have biases in place, 
and we read the books and we study things to prove our biases. So if you don't believe in God, come on, you're going to surround yourself with other people that don't believe their God. You're going to read their writings and you're going to build this argument. I mean, we do the same thing as Christians. The good thing, though, is that the Bible and Christianity is rational. It's not some step in the dark. It has reason. It has coherence. It has history behind it. It's influenced millions of lives. But here's what, uh, here's what Jesus said. John 8, 56. He, he said to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Now, Jesus is looking back in time 2,000 years. Abraham was 2,000 years away from when Christ was on the earth. And, and, and Jesus said, Abraham was happy because he saw me coming. Don't you remember Abraham was the father of faith? Abraham was a covenant man. He was a precursor to the faith that we have in Christ. Jesus said he saw it and was glad. And these Jews, the hairs starting to stand up on the back of their neck and said, you're not even 50 years old and you've, you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly. Now, when you see in verily, verily, truly, truly, that's kind of like to underscore what's already there. He said, before Abraham was, isn't that an odd way to talk about yourself? Before Abraham was, I am. And the very next thing, verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, they picked up stones to throw at him because they believed he was blaspheming God. Because what Jesus was saying is, I am God. I was alive before Abraham existed on this earth. That phrase, I am, refers to the eternal nature of God. Exodus 3, 14, uh, God told Moses, he said to Moses, uh, I am who I am. Remember when Moses said, well, what am I going to tell the Israelites why I'm going to take them out of Egypt? You just tell them I am, said to let you go. So Jesus goes back and he says, I'm God. Let me close with this, this idea of I am it means more than Jesus was a man. It means he is God. Listen to what Jesus said. All this is from John's gospel, just like the I am statement. In John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. and Whoever believes in me will never thirst. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying is, is his words are spiritual food. Just like you'll eat lunch today to nourish your body, uh, you need spiritual food to nourish your soul, to guide you. When I was in the Navy and I was going to Adak, Alaska, never been there, didn't know a soul, been a Christian about a year, but the most defining verse of my young Christian life, and even today, was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, and He will direct you off that airplane to the people you're supposed to be with. Direct you off that airplane to a Bible study, to a church, to a place you can go for spiritual safety. And guess who he led me to shortly? Their, their names were David and Bitsy Krupa. They lived in Maine. They were a bit older than me, but they were a family. They had kids, and they adopted me, and they discipled me. So for a year and a half, I left America and the worldly stuff that was behind me, and I just dove into Jesus for 18 months because it was nothing to do on Adak, Alaska, but serve Jesus and drink beer, and I chose to serve Jesus. <laughs> That's what his word does. He was the bread of life, and his words feed us. When Linnell went through her cancer surgery, uh, I, there was a verse in the Old Testament that was it's somewhat obscure, but I'm reading not knowing what to do, and the verse alluded to the fact that all is well. 
I didn't say she didn't have problems, but it was like revelation that came to my soul. Jesus is the bread of life. John 8 says, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, whoever follows me, the light will lead him out of pornography and out of immorality, come on, into the light of purity. Whoever follows me will lead him out of greed and idolatry and lying into a place of truth and integrity. Whoever follows me will leave the, uh, the ideas of, of evolution and the ideas of reincarnation and the ideas that there is no God and will follow me, come on, into the light. He said, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door to heaven. And didn't he say that in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why is that? It's because of the cross. It's because only Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that when we believe in him and trust in him, he would lead us to eternal life because we can never be good enough to work our way in. And I'll close with this. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is not the great I was. He is the great I am. Come on, give him a big hand today. He is worthy, worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand up, and we're going we're gonna to sing one song and have a little prayer here, but let me encourage you, don't check out for lunch yet. I believe the last couple minutes of the service are probably the most important ones. Worship, what worship does for me, worship washes me. Worship washes the world off me. Worship is when I confess any sins in my life. It's when I start drawing closer to God. Worship awakens me spiritually. And then when I look into the Bible, God speaks to me. I was listening to a preacher on TV the other day, and, and when my wife, I knew she'd hurt herself, and I was having some physical issues, and I, I listened to something that I just heard the Lord talking to some man, and I just got out on my knees right there in my, in my home, in my bedroom, and I said, Lord, I, I believe. I believe you're the God of healing and health and life. And, and, and it spoke to me, and I needed to respond to it. See, it's the same way here. I don't want to just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. And as we just pause just a moment in God's presence, I wonder if I, I'll often close my eyes, but as he sings this song, if you might just say, Lord, what are, you, what are you saying to me? And you close your eyes, not to be mystical or spooky, but just to shut everybody else out so you can have a private moment with God and ask him, say, Lord, what are you saying? You give to life. Me. You are 